It seemed that entrepreneurship and spirituality were in conflict. But they were mistaken. There is a profound art to building high-performance business that expands the soul. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we are here to explore. This is the Pure Power Podcast. I am your host, Oliver Philbock. Welcome. Welcome, dear listeners, to the Pure Power Podcast Temple. I am delighted to have you on board today as we keep exploring how to build a rocking business and at the same time expand the soul and bridging the worlds of spirituality and high-performance entrepreneurship. This episode today and the whole podcast is brought to you by Pure Power Coaching and we support, as you know, high-performing entrepreneurs to create those inner shifts that make this expansion possible. And we've had clients raising millions of dollars in funding after they discovered this inner freedom inside, doubling and tripling their incomes, redesigning their professional roles, and waking up again with excitement in the morning, looking forward to the day instead of having the morning dreads. Many entrepreneurs still think that entrepreneurship has to be hard and somehow in opposition to spirit, And that's just not the case. And if you are ready to explore how they go together, then check out what we have in store for you at www.thepurepower.de or connecting with me on Instagram. And now that being said, we have a really special episode today because we have a very dear guest and a very special guest here with us today. And I'm really looking forward to diving in here with you. We will be talking today with Nick Gansitano, who is spiritual teacher and the spiritual director of the Self-Inquiry Center, a number one best-selling author, keynote speaker, private coach, and a former pro athlete, yeah? so former soccer All-American football national champion and Penn State University's all-time most accurate place kicker. And Nick, over the last 25 years, has mentored thousands globally who have attained personal and spiritual transformation under his guidance, yogis, tantrikas, entrepreneurs, top athletes, and coaches in pretty much every sport that you can imagine. He is a spiritual thought leader and upholds the mission of helping others to realize their true self and divine purpose by unlocking the infinite potential of their mind so that they can live a prosperous life and attain ultimate liberation. Nick, I'm so honored to have you on board. A big welcome. Hi, Oliver. Nice, so nice to see you after all this time. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah, we first met actually in a phase of my life which has been one of the most important phases of my life, in my life. Yeah, we met in India in a sacred place on the sacred hill Arunachala, and there we connected. And it's been a couple of years, so really, really happy to be reconnecting in this way and to host you here in this temple. Yes, it was uh, wonderful. We, uh, when we were there, uh, Oliver, as you were leaving, uh, loaned us your motorcycle because we were actually moving from one side of the, of the hill to another side, which was much farther away. And so we found ourselves in a position we were going to have to buy a transportation of some kind and at the same time you were moving and leaving town and so you asked us to look after your motorcycle so it worked out perfectly for us <laughs> indeed indeed i must say the motorcycle story i did have a little bit of a guilty feeling afterwards because i didn't have the paperwork in order for the motorcycle <laughs> you know i came to india being kind of free-spirited and i didn't like consider to get all the paperwork done right and so on and then i handed it over and then I think you ran into like some little bumps there. <laughs> it was perfect. It was wonderful. It was such an adventure and it was so nice to have it. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Very, very happy to hear. Um, so Nick, maybe introduce yourself a little bit to our audience. Yeah, You have such a colorful life yeah? coming from this background of athletics, yeah? of playing soccer at a very high level and then becoming a spiritual teacher. How did that happen? How did this unfold? Well, I, was, uh, I grew up in an athletic family, and most of them played American football. But I eventually shifted into what is uh, 
in the world known as football, which is soccer in the United States, which is uh, the most popular sport in the world. And my sister was in it, so I went into it to play something that was not as uh, violent of a sport because I was a wrestler, you know, when I was young. And so I, I liked to fight a lot. I liked to, you know, wrestle around and box and I did martial arts and all these things when I was younger. And, you know, you come to a point in your life where, you know, you just look in the mirror and you say, this is enough. I don't want this anymore. This is not important to me anymore. And so got into the soccer and then I ended up playing that, but I then off, got offers for soccer, scholarship offers for soccer and for American football, which in America, there was not a lot of professional players going. Some of them were going to play in other countries, but my dream would have been to play in the Bundesliga if I would have played at all, because that was the only thing we saw on TV. Mm. And so, but I didn't, I ended up taking the football scholarship because it was a full scholarship. And so I gave that up. And when I went to when I went to Penn State, the coach there wanted me to take a meditation class so that I wouldn't choke under pressure. Because oftentimes it's the end of the game and you have one kick. And if you make the kick, your team wins. And if you miss the kick, your team loses. And so they put me into a class and I and immediately fell in love with the meditation. So much so that I almost lost uh, interest in everything else in my life where I just wanted to sit in my room and meditate all day. And but anyway, stuck it out and went on and eventually went into the business world. And because of the ability to oh, I ended up playing a little bit of professional just very shortly before I injured my knee. And so Mm. that pretty much directed me into the financial world where I became vice financial regional vice president for a company that uh, that was there. And the idea was that to be more efficient because the mind is not always running on. And with most people, the mind is uh, overly active. And because the mind is overly active, they're not able to allow consciousness to flow through them in a pure sense to where to where. So as long as the individual me as a doer the one that thinks it's doing everything as a separate individual, as long as you think as a separate individual that you are the one who is doing it all, that you are the one who is in control, that you are the one, then this can create a crystallization of ego. Mm. And so, but once you get behind the mind and you are able to rest in the self and what we call the heart or you call spirit, I observe you use the word spirit, same principle, once in this place, then the infinite intelligence pushes forward and orchestrates the actions and takes over and takes control. And so this started to happen spontaneously. And, you know, I became somewhat successful in that area. But I really wanted to work with kids. So I started coaching. And we had many athletes that went on to become you know, to receive scholarships and our school grew. And then eventually I ended up one day, I was coming home. I was driving home from a wrestling practice. I was still coaching and I spilled my drink while I was driving. It was a soda of some kind. And and I went over to pick it up and my car swerved over and I cut off a truck with four very rambunctious, intoxicated young men in their twenties. And so when we got to the stoplight, they all got out and started slamming their bottles against my car, and they all wanted to fight. So I got into this fight with um, four guys, and it was a very violent thing. And this was um, one of them, I think he was hospitalized, and we and there was everybody was bleeding, and it was bad. Wow. And so I ended up going home that night. My jaw was dislocated, and I remember looking in the mirror and saying, this is the end, mm. no more. And the next morning I woke up, And I sat down on the toilet and there was a book behind me on the thing and I picked it up and it was the handbook to higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. And this was pretty much the beginning of me, like letting go of that way of living and going in toward things that were meaningful. Wow, Nick, uh, beautiful. Yeah, What a story. And there's so many 
avenues here that I'm really excited to dive into with you. Yeah, so many nuggets we can take here. But maybe the first one that I want to dive into is this experience that you described of not choking under pressure. And maybe because many of my audience is from Europe, you can just kind of explain a bit like this scenario, like paint a bit the picture of the, yeah, like what it looks like in this match. And it's a question that I hear oftentimes from my clients. Yeah? Some of my clients are private equity fund managers or investing in hedge funds or also many entrepreneurs who are running big companies. Yeah? And it's also the situation where there's a lot of pressure yeah? and all the investors want something and the shareholders and everybody has an opinion. But then this question, okay, how do I come into the place of just perfect clear decision-making and, and action, uh, no. no friction? Yeah, that's a very good question, Oliver. In my situation, going back to the original thing, to set up a picture of what it looks like to be in a pressure situation, you essentially have 11 players on both sides. And on the defense, their job is to try to prevent you from scoring. On the offensive side, you have nine players lined up to block 11 of their players. One man is going to catch the ball that's hiked, thrown through his legs back, mm -hmm. where the one catches it, he's eight yards back, about seven meters. And he places the ball on the ground, standing straight up. And then you, as the kicker, have three steps to kick the ball And you have to, the players are about seven foot tall and their arms are about a foot and a half high. So they're eight and a half, plus they jump about two feet. So they're about 11 feet tall mm -hmm. and they're all jumping up and you have to kick the ball over them. And usually it's in the winter. So it's very cold. The ball is hard and it's snowing or near zero degrees, absolute zero. And the ground is slippery. And, you know, you you have to kick the ball and you have 1.3 seconds to kick the ball from the time it's snapped. And you have to do this before they get in, before they run in on you and crush, crush you. you. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and so and so this uh, this I did uh, for many years in college and uh, ended up being uh, successful in that area. But the idea was to be able to tune everything out. This is the, mm -hmm. the primary thing. Is it pertains to what you mentioned, to not allow things that really don't matter to interfere. And so to become what we call one-pointed. And so if you are focusing on one thing, you don't really notice the other things. And so in this case, it's what we call meditating on the I thought. Okay. The I thought, the I, when you say, okay, who's seeing these people? Who thinks that these people are coming in? Who thinks these people are going to block it? I do. Who am I? I. Attention. As soon as attention comes back to I, you're able to block out any other thought because you can only have one thought at a time. Right. And so as long as you can only have one thought at a time, if you decide what it is you're going to give attention to, those other thoughts cannot encroach. They cannot interfere with anything that you want. And so it's knowing this and understanding that you can't really afford to allow undesirable thoughts to come in that initiates or sets the intention to remember to inquire. And then as soon as you get set, as soon as you're going to go into your take action, you inquire before that, who's having this thought? I am, who am I? And then you stay there. Now, mm. very very similar to what we call a double arrow method. And it's like, if you think about it, if you ever come to a dead end when you're driving on the road and you can't go forward anymore, you have to go either right or left and it has mm -hmm. an arrow like this, yep. two arrows. If you turn that so that one arrow is pointing in your direction and the other arrow is pointing back toward me. So mm -hmm. if I'm looking at you, I can also keep attention back on myself. So one end of the arrow is pointing you, the other arrow is pointing back toward myself, and I'm feeling myself. And as long as that's occurring, it allows me to function and interact with you without having any judgmental thoughts, any limiting thoughts, any fears, any insecurities or doubts to enter the mind at all. 
Yeah. Because that part of the mind that would be thinking those things is now being redirected toward feeling myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once I do this, then I'm no longer distracted by anything whatsoever. And you can practice this. One of the ways you can practice this is with archery, people who do archery. Um, You can take a handful of rocks, say if you take uh, 10 rocks, and uh, you sit or you stand and you find a target not too far away, maybe 10 feet away, and you just throw them at the target and you count how many you make. And then the next time, keep attention on yourself, but keep looking at the target, but don't forget yourself and do the same thing and Mm. observe. And you will see the accuracy, the consistency, the productivity, the efficiency of what it is that you're doing is much higher. Yeah, I love that. Such a simple and easy to prove way indeed. And even now, yeah, even now listening to this podcast, yeah, dear listener, even now in that there may be the same invitation yeah, to kind of reclaim reclaim attention just back home into center, yeah, essentially. Nick, maybe I know when I first read or heard about this method it felt a bit mental to me and then later through practice this is actually yeah probably the most important part of my personal practice yeah the, this inquiry so i'm very much deep supporter and practitioner of this but i remember in the beginning i didn't quite get it can we explain a little bit the maybe the feeling or the sense that we want to be looking for when when we are practicing this Yes, this is a great question. And most people, in fact, everybody pretty much has that same experience at first, because the mind is externalized and objectifying and attaching itself to people, places, things and events, to where they become foremost in our consciousness. And so because of that, we forget ourselves. We remember the objects, which are second and third person, Mm -hmm. but we forget first person. And so when we forget first person, we forget the power because the power is actually what's creating the second and third person, the awareness that's coming. Everything is like a projector. Everything is projecting out of you, out of the heart. And so when you bring attention back to I and you question the I, you come to realize that the sense of I that we think that we're looking for really does not even exist. This individual separate sense of self when we investigate is not really a solid reality because if you were to go in and you were to remove the atoms out of your body one at a time, Mm -hmm. you would never actually find an I there. Yeah. There's nothing there of the sort. It's just, it's a mental construct. And so if you can stay behind the mind you can realize that the intelligence that has created all of this, the, you could call it existence itself, is orchestrating everything. And it's more of a fantastic dream. And once you realize it's a dream, then you realize that it's not solid. And if it's not solid, then that means that your thoughts can change the dream. And they can orchestrate and dictate the details of the dream. They determine the dream. And so this is the the most important thing, is when you realize that none of this is solid, then it's more tangible in your mind how you can change your reality with your thoughts, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which also means your success and anything else that it is that you want to direct your attention toward. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. So kind of to play it by this example, yeah, so you said the attention goes to people, places. Yeah? So in the example, the eight, seven-foot football players, yeah, <laughs> giants wanting to crush you, running toward you. So then yeah, the mind has this impulse to get freaked out yeah, about the incoming force that's going to hit you, yes? Or the investor, yeah, whatever, having the shareholders calling you know, under pressure to make a decision. But then what you're saying is just in this moment to remember to look inside yeah, to the moment where kind of like they almost disappear, yeah? like all the pressure melts away. And then from there, 
the decision is being guided through a higher power. Yeah, that, would that be accurate to reflect like this? Yes, and what happens is with regular inquiry into this sense of I, which eventually, as you begin to trace that I thought back inward, you come to a place that feels like it's kind of in the right side of the chest a little bit. It's felt like a contraction. It feels like a knot. So like if you like are to point at me up here on your screen, and then if you were to point back to yourself, if everyone would do that, just so you can have the experience you're here and then here. And when most people point back, if you look where you're pointing, you're pointing to your chest. You don't point here and you don't point here, you point here. This there is a because there is a felt sense of self or contraction in the chest. And when that knot begins to dissolve, the knot felt in the body like a contraction. Once it dissolves, then what shines forth is this the radiant, the radiance of the heart. You see, this is and this is this is what is spoken of in spiritual circles as the heart. Yeah. It's not the physical heart on the left side, and it's not the heart chakra. It's it's the center, the heart center, which is known as the hirdium. But the idea is that it's it's in the Bible, it's in all the spiritual scriptures, it talks about it. And this when this heart opens up and radiates, you come to realize that you're not in the world, the world is in you. Mm. And there's a complete reverse, a complete paradigm shift where everything is flipped upside down and backwards yeah and that you are no longer an insignificant person functioning and struggling in the world but that because it's all in you that whatever it is that you think has to happen yeah there are so many ways i would like to deepen this conversation but i just feel to take this back to what you shared around when you started to discover this inner dimension and then it felt like almost nothing else mattered yeah? it becomes kind of the most the highest call the thing that most drew you in and for me also it happened exactly like this yeah? it was also back in my finance career and i was doing my job and so on and being successful there but at some point this calling just became so intense this call inside and exactly this reversal that you're describing of Uh, just calling back home, back home. So, so beautiful. Yeah. And so many entrepreneurs I meet, they start this entrepreneurial journey really looking outside. It's like once I hit the eight figures or the nine figures, or I'm, I fi finally have the fame and the success with my company, then I have my freedom. Yeah. So it's kind of rooted in or directed in this way. But then once they discover that the freedom is inside, yeah, and it just takes this reversal of attention that you're describing, it's flipping the whole game. Yeah? And suddenly the business comes from freedom and not from, you know, self-punishment. <laughs> yes, yes. This is the delusion that uh, we live within our minds, that the more that we get, that the more that we have. And, uh, you know, the reality is, is that, There are four gates to self-realization. Um, the one is the self-inquiry. One is the self-control. Okay, and I'll get to the other two. And then, of course, there's also uh, uh, contentment. All right. Now uh, I'll get to the fourth one. But the first three: self-inquiry. We discussed is who's having this thought. I am. Who am I? Self-control is not giving in to every compulsion and lustful craving to have everything that we think we should have, that we should chase after things, because there the individual doer is uh, chasing after those things, you know, is thinking that the more, the bigger my house, the more things I have is not the real answer. Because if that were true, then every person who's rich would be happy. Right. If being attractive was the most important thing, then everyone who's beautiful would be happy. And so, But once we find, once we turn inward and we arrive at contentment, now contentment is being satisfied with those things which we did not run after. Because sometimes when we're chasing after things, when we're working, 
you know, the hundred hour weeks, the 15 hour days to try to yeah. acquire these things. We get to a place where there's never enough hours in a day. And then we find ourselves exhausted or yeah. we find ourselves alienating ourselves from those who are most important to us or the things that are most important. And we begin to question, you know, there's got to be more to life than this. And so how do I have balance? How do I find this balance? And you don't find the balance. Balance is not something you can seek. It's the absence of going to extremes, right, for seeking only the wealth and to and that of avoiding wealth. On either extreme, you know, if because a lot of people who are on the spiritual path, they avoid it, they reject mm-hmm. it. There's there's an unhealthy imbalance that they don't think there should be you should pursue it at all. But yeah. on the other side, you know, it's all that you do, it's all you think about. And so to allow that balance to naturally occur allows you to have balance in every area of your life. It enriches the quality of your personal relationships, you know, finances, your friendships, and your happiness within. And the contentment really is just, the. it's like you allow only those things to come to you that come to you unsought. Mm. So you work you work, but there's not a personal me there doing it. There's just you're there so that you can be of service, so that you can give, so that you can so that you can be the most useful to humanity, to to others. And this way any personal agenda or ambition gets kind of pushed out. And so now you're working for the good of the whole. You're working for the good of the many. And this way, whatever comes to you now is going to be coming from a place of unselfishness. Mm. Yeah, I'm so happy that you say this. It's a concept that, I, that I've been speaking about with some of my clients as well, this creating success on all levels. That's what it feels like for me. Yeah? And it seems to be, in my experience, really the natural perfume of this deepening coming home that you speak about and the deepening settling into the heart and then there's not so much sacrifice it's not like okay in order to push my business i need to you know give up everything else in my life and slave away kind of you know 20 hours and it's only success in one vector but it seems to be and i witness that in my clients and in my own evolution that the success really becomes more global. Yeah, it's just like a perfume. The relationships are beautiful and there's joy in the business and it's fun. Yeah? And then suddenly somehow beautiful synchronicities happen and the right people appear as if yeah, really guided by, by grace. Is that the same direction that you are talking about? The same yeah, mechanism, I want to say, that you're, that you're alluding to? Yeah, when you are in that peace, right, that you, you're speaking of, then it's natural that prosperity will be drawn to you. It may not come in the way that you think it's going to come, but it comes to you in a way that is not just for me, but it's a win-win for everybody. You notice that if you're making the success, but your customers are not, then there's imbalance. Mm-hmm. If you're doing well because you're helping other people do well, then there's balance. And so yeah. and in this way, you have a win-win situation. You're in complete harmony. And of course, everybody is not going to necessarily be successful because there is there is a space in there for failure so, because it allows for us to learn. It allows for us to make adjustments and for us to look and evaluate our values and what we, we think is really important. But the main thing, I think, at least, is, is to shed the individual sense of doer, that I'm the doer, that to, to think that you're very important, if you're like an actor or you're an athlete and you think that you're irreplaceable or that you think that you know it's all about you, then the, it's necessary to inquire, well, who am I? Who, mm. who is this I? To really investigate deeply what this I is, and then when the knot begins to unravel, then you feel the radiance 
the heart, the bliss of the heart open up and you feel as though everything is inside of you. Everything is an emanation of you. And then you realize that everything is already happening on its own and that you don't really have to do anything. But in order to get to that place, it requires a very intense you know, a reversal in the flow of consciousness back toward yourself, which can take some time to do, which is why in the very beginning, when you were talking, Oliver, about how when you started, it was difficult. You didn't, mm -hmm. it didn't really seem to be useful. It seemed very intellectual. And initially, that's the process. And so very few have an immediate, you know, insight, maybe uh, Ramana Maharshi, you know, uh, Eckhart Tolle had a similar type of a thing. But again, when your life, when you become miserable, like Eckhart Tolle was, you know, when you're that miserable, when nothing is good in your life and you seem and you hate life and you're depressed, then mm -hmm. then you're already begun the inquiry process because you're rejecting the world. And so but once you then hit, once you tear through that veil and you realize that it's not the world that was the problem. It's not the money that was the problem. It's not the people that were the problem. It was the individual me that was trying to be better than everybody else. Right. It's trying to be superior. And, and this is a crippling neurosis. Yeah. In, in that, that many people struggle with in, in today's, you know, today's world. Yeah. Yeah. And I speak often with entrepreneurs. I mentioned in the beginning of the show who have this experience of waking up you know, already with some dread about the day ahead. And it seems like, you know, there's all those emails in the inbox and kind of being a little bit prisoner of their own machine that they have created. Maybe it's not ex as extreme as the example of Eckhart Tolle, yeah? But I wonder whether these points where there's already somehow a little, of a, a little bit of a cooking happening, a little bit of a suffering, are good portals for us to just come into this depth that we've been talking about what do you think what is your experience well uh, before there can be self-realization there must be humility and before there can be humility there has to be some humiliation and before there can be humiliation there has to be failure and before there can be failure there has to be some misery some confusion some lack of clarity or ignorance, which means, which comes from a conditioned state of consciousness, mental conditioning that is not symbolic of what is true, of reality. When you're delusional, when in the way that you see things, then, then you get very confused and very disillusioned and frustrated. So you're, then your expectations on the world become unrealistic based on what you're doing. It's like a little, a child who comes out, uh, even a high school child comes out for soccer. And because, say they watched uh, uh, Rainer Bonhoff from, you know, Borussia Mönchengladbach, for, let's say, hit a ball. And they come out to practice the first day and they kick, go to kick a ball. And uh, it doesn't go 95 miles an hour, 120 <laughs> kilometers an hour. And they can't believe that the goalkeeper can save every ball that they kick the ball because they're living in a delusion. They don't realize how many hours, how many times they did that. And so when we are not willing, when we become lazy and we're unwilling to put forth the energy to derive the outcome that we're looking for, we can become very disenchanted with the results. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if we're not lazy, if we work hard and we stay focused, then it's very likely we will see incremental improvements that will not necessarily lead to that huge collapse like Eckhart described. Yeah. That you have like, it's like a someone using a yo-yo, you know, a yo-yo, you remember? Mm -hmm. yo -yo? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. When you're walking up a flight of stairs, if you watch the yo-yo, you can go pretty crazy. Ah, but if interesting. you see yeah. it, it always ends up at the top of the stairs. So don't, get too discouraged by the yo-yo, you know, just keep walking. And then, you know, it, it's going to go up and down. It's in, in, inevitable because we learn most times from failure more than we learn from success. Yeah. 
And so, so this is inevitable. So what would be the first step for somebody who is right now running a successful company and they are feeling this pressure, just as you have been feeling uh, back on the football field? And either maybe they're already in some state of a latent suffering or they just have like really high aspiration yeah, for something, success on all levels, full depth and taking it to the next level. How would they start to initiate this reversal of attention that we've been speaking about? The thinking, if they are experiencing difficulties or if they're just getting started, which one would you uh, mostly because slightly different? Getting started perhaps on the spiritual journey, I would say, and experiencing difficulties perhaps in their kind of ordinary life, I would say. And I, oftentimes I see them coming together. It's like this beginning disenchantment with the life that they have created, overwhelm, anxiety, stress, and so on. And then maybe starting to lean into like what else is there. Yeah. Okay, this is a great question. Oliver, because this is perhaps the, the greatest obstacle that people face. Number one, never ever surround yourself with negative, angry, violent, unconscious people. Not, not to reject them verbally or say anything to them, but don't put yourself in the proximity of people who are not headed in the same direction as you want to go. This is, I think, one of the most important things. Of course, meditation is very important. It's very important that you, every four hours, that you stop working for 15 minutes and you just feel the sense of I. And I'll get into that in a minute on how you can do that. But very important is to not surround yourself with the people who are moving in a direction that's divergent from you. They, it has to be in a similar energy and don't, don't, Look at it as bad or that you're being mean, not to see yourself as being nasty because you're not giving attention to them. Just keep your attention on what it is that you're wanting to give, that you're wanting. And a lot of people, they compromise in that regard. And they think that they, you know, that they have to maintain, like a lot of times families can become problems. Right. This can be a difficult thing. And Jesus even mentions this, right? Members of your own family shall be your greatest enemies. Mm. Where, there, oh. where mm -hmm. there are five, there shall be three set against two and two against three. And this is because that you have to remember your family represents your past. Your family represents your past. And I don't mean anything against family in general, but I'm saying we have to remember that a lot of our dysfunctional conditioning comes from our past or from our childhood where we were being taught how to behave ourselves and do what we were told so that we could be more easily managed and told what to do. These limitations, they grow, they blossom out of that type of thing. And so we need to erase that. And so yeah. sometimes it's necessary to not put ourselves in proximity to that when we're trying to evolve and we're trying to grow out of that. We're trying to escape that type of limited thinking. And so these are just some things that I've over the years that we've you know, pointed out are, are very effective. Once you can escape this type of conditioning, you have a much better better chance of, of moving toward. And then as far as turning inward, now question everybody and question everything without exception. Nobody, no, no, no guru, no teacher, no you know, mentor. Nobody is beyond questioning. And if they don't want you questioning them, then they shouldn't be in that position mm -hmm. because a really effective mentor will want you to question them because they don't, they're not misleading you. So being misled is a very significant uh, reason why people fail. Because if you trust your heart, if you just, if you're just doing what feels good to you in your heart, you're naturally going to be successful. Right. It's like yeah. if you're driving down the road and you see somebody who's asking for money and you decide to give them some money. And somebody says, don't give them money. They're just going to take that money and they're going to go spend it on liquor. Right, right. And you say, well, but that's up to them. Yeah. <laughs> it's their choice. If that's what they want to do, that's for them. That's not for me to decide. I want to give to them because, and so some people say, well, you shouldn't give it to them because they're just, and then this is another share, another dimension also, intoxication. Mm. If people intoxicate themselves 
what it doesn't really matter what the substance is. They're not going to experience enough pain or enough suffering to let go and to learn. Because if you don't experience those downs, you're not going to be able to recognize when you're making mistakes. Yeah. And if you don't recognize when you're making mistakes, you'll never rise above those mistakes. So you'll never improve. And so intoxicating yourself, whether it's alcohol, whether it's weed, whether it's, it doesn't matter what mm -hmm. it is. It can be pornography. It can be yeah. anything that's, you know, is numbing you. It's going to stunt your progress. So mm -hmm. th these mm -hmm. are just, these are just the main things. Yeah. Super powerful. Super powerful. Yeah. And I can totally see that, you know, working out with founders and so who are in this a little bit creation, a bit what you shared about the family. Yeah? Oftentimes also the company structure reflects the past yeah? the people around them and old mentors, perhaps, or people they've been looking up to who have been instilling these beliefs that you just shared. Yeah. Okay. Like you cannot give money to the person begging, hey, okay, you have to work 80 hours a week if you want to, you know, be successful and if you want to move something. Yeah. And so it's been passed down somehow generation to generation of suffering and of sacrifice yeah, until one makes a choice to actually look inside and to find what you said, yeah, that what the heart really wants. Yeah? How do I really want to build my company? Who do I really want to have on board here? How do I really want to serve? And who am I? And then suddenly the whole thing starts to unravel for them and also for other entrepreneurs again in the space uh, who suddenly see a different model being realized through this, through this person. Yeah. And in alignment with what you're saying, Oliver, is I think it's also very important to be willing to serve as a um, an apprentice. Like if you want to learn how to become a successful business person or investor, you can considerably reduce the learning curve by training with somebody who has experience. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, a lot of young people, there's this whole thing, what's called the cancel culture movement, where basically throwing everything out to try to achieve a new world or a new mm -hmm. result but but this is not it's it's great in theory but in action it can also be problematic because you don't want to throw as we call the baby out with the bathwater. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you it's important that you find someone if you have the grace or you know the good karma let's just say to find somebody who's very successful and willing to train you so that you can learn the industry that you're wanting to develop in, you can shave decades off of your learning curve and success, but to also not be blind, to also understand that they will make mistakes. And that's why if you can find an apprentice who encourages questioning in the learning process, then, then this is the best scenario for you because eventually you, you'll do well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for adding this. I feel a very timely and, and relevant pointer yeah, for anybody who feels a resonance with this and wants to find this, yeah, this depth inside and deepen into it. And maybe uh, in closing, Nick, on this, for somebody who would feel this calling inside, how can they find a guide who actually guides them in the right direction? Because it seems nowadays, of course, with social media, you know, and open availability and open communication on every level. Of course, we have great access to all kinds of information, but also from my perspective, seeing different people in the spiritual space, it seems to me that not everybody is really trained to deliver yeah, what they kind of put on their storefront. Yeah? And sometimes maybe not speaking from direct experience, but rather from having read things in a book or something like this. Yeah, so how would somebody who is looking for a guide in this space find somebody suitable? How to find a pearl yeah, in, the, in the sea of the available offers? Because you become vibrationally relative to that which you're looking for. So, you know, the saying, uh, when the student is ready... The master will appear. And I know it. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. And so, um, so the, you don't have to find them. The universe 
will create a resonance, a beautiful harmony like this. Yeah. And we come together. So if we can imagine if everybody would just, if you just would like to participate for a moment, just to give you an idea, a way that you can practice coming into harmony with the self. It's very simple. If you close your eyes and just imagine that you're in a room and it's pitch black in this room and there are no windows and there are no doors. There is no crack under the door. There is no light at all. And someone outside of the room says to you, is my book in there? And of course, you say, because you cannot see anything, you don't know if their book is in there. You would say, well, I don't know. And now they say to you, are you in there? Now, even though you cannot see anything, you know that you're there. So you say, I am. And you feel that you are. And you rest in that knowing that you are. And if you do this and stay in this thoughtless conditioned state of just being every four hours for 10 or 15 minutes, at the end of the day, you will find that all of the answers you're looking for will come looking for you because it's in this stillness that all answers come, all intelligence that's worth having arises. Nick, thank you so much for this experience and for coming on here today and sharing this wisdom and also this direct experience with everybody who is listening to us here today. And I feel that's a beautiful moment and a beautiful space for us to gradually start to wrap up our conversation here and leave our listeners in a space of deeper homecoming for the day and for whatever they may be engaging with today. So before we close, I just want to ask you whether there's something you would like to share or someone you would like to invite the listeners who wants to find out more about you. So feel free yeah, to do that. Well, um, one of the ways to increase your self-awareness or pursue your spiritual path or accelerate it is what we call satsang. And satsang is just being in the company of those that are not only self-aware, but also what you would call have self-knowledge, understanding of, of who they are. And so to do that, we at our center, it's the Self-Inquiry Center, we have satsangs a couple of days a week. And uh, people can find our website. It's, uh, it's, it's self-inquiry.com. This will be in the show notes also, so you can find it in the description of the podcast itself. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and so if you call, if you go onto the website, there's a phone number which would allow you to register for satsangs. And you can come. It's on Zoom. And so you come into meditation. There's an orientation introduction to the process. And then we meditate together for the first half. And then the second half, we have question and answer. So as somebody goes on their spiritual path, as they go deeper and deeper within, and the ignorance is, begins to purge and melt away, they begin to develop a whole new level of consciousness and your questions will become more and more evolved. The second part we answer, we go into those questions as question and answer. So if you have any questions that you would like to ask, or if you would like to even challenge the things that are being shared, uh, you know, feel free uh, to come to that. And we do that twice a week, Tuesday and Friday, and that's seven to nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time in the United States. And uh, you just call Penelope and she'll organize uh, everything with you to make sure you have all that you need. Fantastic. Fantastic. So a beautiful invitation yeah, for everybody to join Nick in satsang. Uh, and Nick, if I'm not mistaken, you also have written several books, actually. And I think one of them has been quite recent, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe you want to share also for a moment about uh, where people can read more about your teachings and, of course, a timeless teaching yeah, that is behind it. Yeah. 
Thank you, Albert. This is uh, um, Penelope has uh, given me this book here. It's called Be Still and Know I Am God, The Direct Path to Self-Realization. And this is a non-dual book on spirituality, on self-realization. And this is uh, an older book, but it's been a, a successful, very successful book um, that we uh, that's been done. And this one here is The Awakened Athlete, and this is has the basic principles of success, including self-inquiry that we described and the way that athletes use this, but it can also be very effective for entrepreneurs. Some Many of the CEOs that you know, we work with really enjoy this particular uh, book. And then I have a couple other books that are coming out that are basically just, they're transcripts of, a, of satsangs, uh, a question and answer between me and, and the various different people over the last 30 years that I've been working with. And so uh, there's lots of inf- health, helpful information in, in there as well. So um, when those come out, we'll make those available to you as well. Fantastic. Fantastic. So Nick, thank you so much. It's been an honor to have you here on board. Is there any final word that you would like to leave with our listener before we, uh, before we close? Just that the, the outcome you are, when are you not yourself? You're always yourself. You always have the wisdom within you to succeed there is no there is no failure there's no such thing and so just just delays so as long as you remember that the outcome is assured then no matter how tough times get you will rise out of that beautiful message to our listeners so with that we will be closing nick thank you so much for being here And dear listeners, yeah, may this blessing be with you today for the day and ripple into everything that you do. And I look forward to seeing you soon on the next episode of the Pure Power podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Oliver.